0: G'day, here at The Regenerative Journey, part of our goal is to educate our followers on the benefits of knowing where their food comes from, and the knock-on effects this can have on our health, our environment, and our future generations. Understanding the connection has never been more important, and in the spirit of this endeavour, we have teamed up with Highland Beef Pastoral Company, a grass-fed beef supply chain servicing the growing US grass-fed consumer market, who I'm excited to announce are our season six show sponsors. Essentially, this Australian-based business places cattle on their member graziers' properties, at no expense to the farmer, and provides competitive returns for every kilo of beef produced, allowing their graziers to focus on improving their businesses in a capital-free and risk-free environment. Highland beef graziers are some of the best grass and animal managers in the country, livestock are humanely and lovingly cared for while on their farms, and customers are guaranteed a very high-quality, regeneratively managed, grass-fed and finished product, with full transparency from farm to plate. If you're interested in finding out more about this program, visit hbpastoral.com.au forward slash Charlie Arnott.
1: So we want to bring together a holistic framework that covers mind, body and spirit. And reimagine health for our farming communities because we believe if you have a healthy, vibrant farmer, the decisions they make on their landscape, someone that's engaged in their own health and loves themselves and has a great relationship with their family and their community, those people will make healthy decisions for their landscapes. I firmly believe that because I've seen it in action.
2: That was Blair Beatty, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey.
0: G'day, welcome back to the Regenerative Journey. And um, as per before, I launch into who my guest is this week. I just want to um, bang on about one or two things. My, primarily, um, I'm sitting here on a lovely little the veranda at the, um, the the little homestead here at Alsawa Retreat in the Noosa hinterland, Sunshine Coast of Queensland. Oh, cicadas! If you're a Victorian, you'll say cicada. I think. Can you hear that? They just literally started, um, guys. Yeah, I'll just push on. Um, up here for the day, and last night and the day, doing a little special project that Joe and her team are working on um, to be announced, to be to be released at some point. Very exciting, a lot of fun with the crew here, um, and I'm just uh, punching out a few few things. Can you hear that wind? I've got this funny mesh bag tied to the microphone to try and stop it. What's that noise? Just when I thought the coast was clear. <clears throat> anyway, stiff shit, moving on. Lovely to be here in the hinterland of um, uh, Sunshine Coast. Um, now, the significance of that is that um, my guest is Blair Beatty. He is the, uh, the man who has brought... Farmers' footprint to Australia. So, Farmers' footprint was an initiative um, of Zach Bush, um, and it's essentially um, an initiative. A, a, a It's a campaign. It's an organisation that um, helps tell the stories of farmers because you know the stories of farmers. Excuse me, are unique. And important, You know, those growing food, those improving the environment and the ecology and the, the hydrology of their landscape as they steward that land to produce nutritionally dense food, which is one of the things that Dak Bush is all about. The farmers who are creating biome, breathing that biome and sharing it with the world via their food. And uh, Blair's done an amazing job in the last, well, I guess it's 12, 18 months to, to um, maybe more, to... To get well, to get Zach here, but to to launch Farmers Footprint Australia here six months ago, um, up in the northern Northern Rivers in New South Wales, he's done an amazing job. I had the had the pleasure and honour of being involved with their sort of launch video um, with a wonderful team uh, he put together, and um, it just so happens that uh, Zach's here in December. That's why we're pushing this this interview, Blairs, through the system nice and quickly so um, it happens, it gets released before Zach gets here. Now, Zach, Zach arrives on the I'm not sure exact day and he's only here for about 10 days. 2nd of December, um, he's in Sydney. Uh, these are all, all the tickets are all available on the Farmer's Footprint Australia website. Go there and grab them because I think certainly by the time you hear this, there may be a few sellouts. I know Byron Bay is sold out. 2nd of December is the bush is going to be in Sydney um, on the Monday He's going to be in Brisbane. On the Tuesday, he's going to be in Byron Bay. Um, and then he's off to – he's into Melbourne. Um, and then – that's right. And then he's basically leaves you know, 10 day, on the 10th of, of December, somewhere around there. Check the um, website for details. So exciting for Zach to be in the country um, and thrilled to be interviewing, uh, and as I did, um, Blair, Blair, Koala Blair, as is – as his close friends call him. So I, I don't call him koala. No, I do sometimes, just to <laughs> just to get a rise. Uh, I've known Blair for some years, um, given um, his uh, his um, living situation in the northern rivers of New South Wales. I've been up here a few years too now, and we've run into each other heaps of times and worked together on a few little things. Um, lovely fella. We sat um, at um, his home in an undisclosed location in the Northern Rivers, um, and chatted his, his life. I knew he had an interesting life, but it was a, certainly a standout. And so it really, really articulate and really um, transparent and really, um, there's another word, sincere, you know, there's no bullshit with Blair. there. Um, he's a lovely, lovely fella. So we had a good chat. Um we we both were at the event in uh, in 2020, March 2020. It was probably like the first or second week of March. Zach was in town. He'd been doing some work. I'd done some interviewing sort of stuff with him. Um, and that was when the shit hit the fan. Literally that week, there was like panic. There was this virus that had been found and was spreading over the world. It was popping up all over the place and people were melting down and you know apparently dying in the streets. Well, that's what the footage we were seeing out of out of Asia somewhere. Um, so the world was in panic. Um, flights were, well, pretty much came to a standstill a week later. And I know that um, Zach only got out with a day to spare before everything sort of shut down. So that was the last time we saw him here in the country. Um, and Blair and I were both at, the, at, um, at the, that, that, that last event he did. Um, and so just an honour and a wonderful thing that he's back in the country. He's giving us 10 days of his time. We want to make it really, really special for him uh, so that he comes back. So he keeps supporting, and as he will, he'll keep supporting Farmer's Footprint Australia, there's no doubt about that, because it's here to stay and it's growing. And it's a wonderful, wonderful organisation. You can donate um, any amounts of money that you would like to via the website, um, monthly some donations and so on, however you want to do it, would be kindly and, and gratefully accepted. But Blair, enough of that, enough of Zach. Uh, well, not enough of it. Blair, he's actually coming up right next. Can't wait to see see Zach in a couple of uh, a couple of weeks' time. I will be interviewing Zach on the 4th of December. So you'll get to hear him, that interview, late in December. Um, you know, if you're really excited about your health and ecology and the world, put him on, pop him on around the Christmas table while you're chowing into that delicious, nutritious food. Uh, Blair Beatty, on the regenerative journey, coming up right now. Lovely fella. Really enjoyed this interview on The Regenerative Journey. Blair Beattie, welcome to The Regenerative Journey and welcome to your lovely family room. What are What is this, sunroom? We classify it as the sunroom, yes. sunroom, it is. Yep. The, the, sun, the room of sun. Room of sun. Which we're not seeing much of today. We are in, I won't, I won't disclose your exact address because that's probably illegal, <laughs> but we are in the Northern Rivers, not far out of Byron Bay. And um we're sitting here, Blair, primarily because I'm interviewing you and we're looking out upon land, landscape, greenery, yeah. a watercourse, clouds, blue sky, and lovely vegetation, um, as somewhat of an inspiring view for you and I to look at. So the viewers, unfortunately, I won't I won't even um I won't move the video because I'm likely to drop it if I turn around. Sometimes I turn around and spin, but just imagine looking through some glass, lawn, fences, it's wonderful. Anyone's been in the Northern rivers, you'll get the drift of it. Uh why here, mate? Why what 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 how does does this inspire you? You don't have to be here. You could be doing lots of things knowing knowing what I know of you. Um why are you in the Northern Rivers? Why are you in a part of the world that's that is this and and in you know, a yeah, you, know, you could be in a unit in, in, in Bronte in Bronte in Byron Bay. I
1: could. But Before I you know, yeah, I definitely chose not to. Why not? What's 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 about well, this what is it about this place? If you look out there, that's that's my inspiration. That's my connection point to sort of who I am, I guess. Um, and I made that choice to come up to this region twenty plus years ago. And that was a very conscious one. Um, I couldn't do I couldn't do the city living anymore. I, I needed to change the way I existed on earth and who I was as a human. So I'd, be, I'd visited up here previously, if, you know, a bunch of times and I already had some friends here and it was kind of just easy. Like, so I it was 2002. I landed up here as a permanent kind of resident, squatting in a mate's place in Old Borougham Bay Road and then went about reinventing myself for probably the third time. Really? <laughs> I want to get back to that because the whole, um, uh,
0: this is, as you rudely noted, Blair, my scribble that no one else can read. It's um, like a doctor's
1: prescription. <laughs> yeah, no
0: prescriptions here, mate. Um, so I just want to get back to reinventing because that whole concept is quite, quite interesting. Um, so this is a lovely spot. Tell me, uh, talking about lovely
1: spots, where was the lovely spot that you were born? So I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, in a suburb called Mount Waverley, which was extremely nondescript. I can Okay, actually, I loved it. I was very, very blessed. Grew up with you know everything needed. There was always food on the plate, and our house was adjacent to a huge reserve called Valley Reserve, which was probably a hundred plus acres of just reserved. There was nothing really going on. So was scrub scrub, and there was a creek and, you know, there was lots of bird life and animal life. And that was my kind of anchor point, I guess, as I grew up. So, um, and that connection point again, which I'm always striving to have wherever I exist. Um, but Mount Waverley, yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. Showing my age, actually, what, um, I remember waking up Adam. In early, early in the mornings and having clip-clop, clip-clop on the road outside. That was a guy delivering milk by horse.
0: So you escaped <laughs> being enlisted for World War I then, clearly. Yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> How do you keep looking so young then if you're 110? <laughs> well, so that was in the, what, <clears> 70s?
1: That was in the seventies, so there was still Market Gardens in that area at that time. So there was right. a lot of small-scale production happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll probably get to that at some point yeah, in totally. our conversation. But that—that that was my early memories of of Mount Waverley. Lots of lots of loan time out in the reserve, probably escaping the wrath of my parents. And um, why,
0: why would they be wrathing on you? <laughs> you? Did you deserve
1: a bit of... Well, most of the time probably yes, yeah. may, maybe. Um, they came out on the boat um, on the Oriana in the 60s. From? From Scotland. So they, there was yeah. a 10-quid boat and they obviously wanted to get out of there for whatever reasons they had and landed in Mount Waverley, got a house and um, stayed there for God knows how long, till... So only maybe ten or twelve years ago.
0: Were they um, from farming? Still, or was there? Back no, then?
1: dad was a chippy. Really? Yeah. And they were young. Like they came out. Mum was mum, and my came out with my brother because he was born in the homeland, um, and they would have been in their twenties when they came out. Yeah, right. Mm. So. Quite courageous, actually.
0: Oh, totally. Because you sort of think about, um, I know Angelica, my wife's father, he came out in, oh, he was only 13, and that's, buddy, 70 years ago, Mm -hmm. plus. Um, uh, You sort of think about, you know, immigrants, immigrants, coming in like long, long time ago, you know, like on the back of the Second World War or between the two wars, but sort of the 60s, I guess it was still happening. I mean, my history is not that good with that, but he sort of, you kind of think that all happened way before then, but Mm. I guess it was still
1: there was a big, big big push at that time because they wanted labour. They wanted people, there was infrastructure (laughs) and stuff to build and Mm. seemed to be um, some sort of healthier economy back then, I guess. They wanted chippies. They they wanted Chippies.
0: Yep. So you 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 you're on the scene in the 70s. What um, and um, uh, interest there? You, you spent a lot of time in that scrub near the house. Yeah, lots.
1: Yeah, kind of every day after school I would, I'd spent there, and that was either exploring or w- watching native animals, birds. Sometimes you know, you know, there was a labyrinth of tracks and you know over a period of time you learn them intimately so you're riding your bikes you make jumps you meet your mates down there you see odd people when you might follow them around and wonder what they're doing and I've what they're, they're doing there you, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know finding kids dashes of stuff that <laughs> it was it was fun It was a really was that a bit of me. a
0: um that was a um a significant kind of well, I guess, point in your life but kind of influence in your life, that scrub, I mean, if you just had a backyard and a street to play in, like was that a – do you think that had something to do with where you have ended up and terms it set of your the tone. appreciation? Yeah, yeah. for
1: sure it set the tone for mm. who I am because Dad was an avid gardener and we had a you know, very productive veggie patch and there was always – you know, at that time of year everyone had fruit trees and it was in mm. Melbourne so there was plums and – you know, all that seasonal stuff that had come through and there's, you'd have bottling and it was kind of fun when you think about how we did that and the lack of it these days.
0: So that was normal, like, you know? That was
1: the norm, yeah. Everyone and- was sharing, you know, plums are on and the whole street shares that and we do a bottling thing together and I spent so much of my time out in that reserve just, you know, in tune, completely happy, feeling completely safe. And obviously as you get to know... Um, that was a connection point is and it? a really powerful one. you know who that is? Yeah, we've got wild dogs. Yeah. And he is trying to find out where they are. He's got a, a purebred dingo, a tracking dog. Really? Yeah. Sorry, for those who,
0: well, for everyone, because not even the video people can see, there's a ute's pulled up. And uh, I can see a, a, a dingo-looking hound in the back there. Wow! Beautiful. So, so he just lets it go, and yeah. it, just, it just tracks. Yeah. Does it actually chase the dogs, or is it kind of just get on the? Like, how did, what, what's the next step? They're after? pretty
1: intimate. Um, their relationship, the um, the steward of that beautiful dingo that hound. Um, so he'll let. He lets him know what's going on, and if the dog's staying here, obviously, or if it's you know coming through, and then they'll work out some sort of way that maybe they trap it and re-release it. Yeah. I've been. Well, do you really do that? I doubt you do. That maybe they trap it and they knock it Knocking on the their head,
0: yeah,
1: um, would be. Well, I mean, what I, I guess that that, that that would be. Um, we, we we we
0: do digress, but it's still relevant to what we what this and animals and ecology. Um, that is, I would imagine, that's considered vermin, wild dogs.
1: Yeah. They're, they're dangerous. Yeah, they can be shot on sight. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. So, yeah, if it was me and I, if I was steward of this landscape, I'd be pretty stoked actually to see them coming back, you know, an apex predator coming through. Dogs, yeah. wild dogs. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, there's got to be, a, there'll be dingo strain in it. I've seen them. It looks way, way much more like a dingo than it does a domestic dog. The the
0: ones you've seen in
1: the yep.
0: scrubby, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, Where I was going to ask you, we're back to yeah, bottling. Um, can you? How good is your Scottish accent? Can you do
1: one? i lad. Sweet drum a lot. So you you, you practice with your dad? I listened to Billy Connolly as I grew, when I grew <laughs> up. And my my does your dad have a good sort of Scottish accent? Oh yeah, dad and, and mum still has one. Yeah, you I can like still she still got that lilt there. And if um she's talking to friends, then they'll come be like. The hell she saying? <laughs> oh, really?
0: She, let, she, let me she, translate she, that bit for you. I love a Scottish accent. My, oh, it's great. It. Yeah. I, good. My um, just a quick di- digress again. Um, my mother's family came from um, Blairgowrie near uh, Glen Shee, which is a, which is a, the, the Glen of the Fairies. Uh-huh. Is the is the translation, and that's where her family are from. Um, many, actually 18-something they came out. I was reading the history the other
1: day. Interesting. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. Scotland, I love that. It's a beautiful, beautiful part I, of I went back when I finished school and, you know, you get to that point where you go, I really don't know who I am. And my parents were stoic Scots, cause, so they weren't extremely communicative Mm-hmm. On family history because I was trying to escape it essentially, yeah. So I, I went back there and tried to retrace that, those steps, and um, you know, found out some stuff that I would never have known otherwise. And met lots of the family back there, and it was amazing. I the, that place is in my veins, is without a doubt. If I hear bagpipes, um, that I, I get all teary, I get it, 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 there's an emotive strain there that's still really connected to that place.
0: Well it's a good point. I mean we talk about indigenous cultures here in Australia or indigenous South American cultures or African cultures I mean and 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 for obvious reasons cuz you know we we we're, we're focusing on them because there's been repression there's been all sorts of genocide you know name it it's it's happened. Um, that doesn't take away from I guess the 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 um the phenomena of indigenous You know, whiteies being indigenous to somewhere still, you know, without doubt. You know, the Scots or the English or the Welsh or whatever, 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 European. And
1: our family history would have got there. There was trauma and tragedy and genocide Mm. in those those realms, um, which I I read about and learnt about and was, you know, shocked by. But that was our, you know, our family history as well. So we carry. I guess we carry all that Mm. in our in those generational trauma story. But,
0: but it's not something that um, necessarily whiteies um, even consider or think about. You know, like you know, in terms of because mm. there's certainly you know a cultural um, uh, uh, scarring or, or trauma that is that is there's obvious I say obvious and it's like it's acknowledged again, generally in, in what we call Indigenous cultures and understandably. But, again, yeah, that's an interesting thing, isn't it, that the, that the just because we are white doesn't mean we don't carry some of those
1: um, those like similar traumas. Mm. That, you that know, colonial oppression yeah. has happened throughout and, you know, we've done it again here in Oz. Mm. That's obvious and we, we are you know, in the midst of that at the moment. In, in looking at that, and hopefully trying to do our best to remedy that, but it was done, and that that happened before here, there, and everywhere. I mean, unfortunately, that colonial, that empire story has you know its feelers went across to South America, it came here, at Indos, you know, it's India, it's happened everywhere. So we all carry that to some extent. But you're right, us as as, as newcomers to here don't consider that in our ethos or in our makeup. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a good one to consider. Oh, totally. Um,
0: my mother reminds me often that we actually were Vikings mm. that came across to Scotland and rape, yeah. raped the horses and stole the women. Yep. And then, um, you know, then settled and, and I guess, which was probably a lot of the Scottish population mm. would, would be from um Northern, uh, or the Netherlands, I guess, would it be, uh, uh, that part of Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fa- I find history fascinating. And then, you know, to dig into sort of where does that all come from, how long does, you know, generational trauma or cultural, whatever that is, you know, how long does that last? I guess we'll, we'll never necessarily know. But um, there you go. I don't know. We're going to go there, mate. So tell me, so we'll get back to some of that um, discovering yourself. But um, so school in the bush Bottling plums, mum and dad, um, family, other
1: family members? One brother. He was mm. seven years older than I. Mm. So, yeah, that separated relationship, love him dearly, but I don't know. I don't have, I don't think we were that close when we were growing up. Seven years for boys is an interesting kind of Yeah, well, he though. used to beat on me a lot, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I probably deserved that as well. <laughs> But he was—he was—he was a good brother, I must say. He—he he was um, a good role model for me as I went through my years. Mm. Didn't work out so well. Like I went off on my own little journeys and had to do my own thing. But yeah, look, I had a really good upbringing. It was—it was safe, which I challenged.
0: <laughs> so where? Um, so so high school. Um, mm-hmm. Were you rebellious? Did you get expelled? Did you did did you not go to school? You down the back smoking dories and yes,
1: yeah. I was yeah doing all the things you don't nece- that don't necessarily fit with the, narr- the narrative of school yep. um, and just pushing boundaries. That kind of was my childhood or my youth. Um, I, I and that I think that sat with just not being maybe that feeling of unlovedness or not connected or self-esteem or trying to find, you know, essentially growing up and not really knowing who I am and what my path was. So that was fun. But as it turned out, I probably did myself somewhat of a disservice by by playing that role and being the disruptor or disruptive. Um, yeah, but school was, yeah, school was a, um, a, a fun time. But it certainly wasn't an educational period. I don't really think that post school I can look back and go that really put me in good stead. It
0: wasn't a, wasn't a pivotal or a, like a, a, a you know, fundamental, foundational experience.
1: Yeah, I read, I wrote, and wrote stuff, and did some maths, and that I don't know don't know whether that served me so well to this point. I think more. It was more about relational stuff that I learned at school was more important. Um, you mean with teachers, students? With students and just... Or just not
0: getting beaten up in the playground.
1: Yeah, just, you know, some street smarts and yep. that kind of story. Um, and then leaving that was I did horticulture.
0: So left there, did you have a gap year or anything? you go away?
1: I went to Scotland. right, oh, yeah. yeah. And then straight into Burnley Horticultural College in Melbourne. Why horticulture? Um just felt as if it was right for me I I grew up doing small jobs and gardening and all that kind of stuff with people in the neighborhood I felt I always loved being in the veggie garden it was just felt let's do that and started landscape and all that kind of story I ended up not really succeeding wonderfully well again because I was distracted and working at pubs and clubs And that took me on a whole different adventure. Um, Did you
0: get back to horticulture? Is it still like eventually? Like you mightn't have finished the formal kind of training part of it, but it's still it's part of your.
1: It it was an anchor point as well. Mm. I always there was always something that I was doing which was grow wherever I lived or wherever I was doing. I was always trying to grow food. I was always interested in that part, as if it was just for leisure or um, therapy. So it it was. It's definitely played a massive role in who I am. Probably didn't realise it until we can take that witness perspective. Yep. Sort of there's our mate with his dingo. beautiful So beautiful.
0: Yeah. And just such a presence. Yep. Mm. Well, I guess it's somewhat indigenous, isn't it? Somewhat, yeah. I don't know how long, how many tens of thousands of years. Yeah, they've certainly integrated into the ecosystem. Well, they're as good as kind of mm. naturalised, aren't they? Um, as you say, predator species. Which Australia didn't really, I don't know, there were apart from the Tasmanian devil and the Tasmanian tiger, there probably weren't too many. Oh, I guess they had little quolls and things, didn't they? They're they
1: were, they were meat eaters. <clears throat> and they they had some, so when the larger predators were still around, I can't remember, my son knows them and he's written stuff on them, there was a couple of big marsupial kind of predator creatures. I think. That were larger than the thylacine or anything like that. I can't remember what they were called. But yeah, we did. You know, back back in the day, we did have some ferocious marsupials running around.
0: I was going to say, like a carnivorous wombat, the size of a VW car.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. I'd want to be trying to
1: <laughs>
0: escape that. I mean, you would want to escape it? <laughs> yes, you nato. would. <laughs> Imagine that they made a, didn't they? Made a they made a werewolf movie out of that, didn't they? The Howling marsupials. I don't know if you ever saw it. Yeah, that, don't How, know. that Howling series. There was like five, and there was one they called The Master of Bills. We should watch that and just go, absolutely, it's true. That <laughs> 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 we had them in Australia tens of thousands <laughs> of years ago. That's nothing new there at all. You and your fake makeup. Um, so back to horticulture. Um, finished there, yeah, distracted. Pub life, bar life. where we, Did you go
1: off the rails? Yeah, pretty much. Ended up working in pubs and clubs and restaurants for years. Um, That was the Melbourne scene back in the 90s. That, yeah, realised at that point that I was getting to a, not a dangerous level, but I was taking a lot of substances. I was abusing alcohol. I was not looking after myself at all. And took a break and... That was, I can't really recall what the catalyst was behind that. I think it had to do with something with a girl or something to do with someone overseas. Anyway, I, I left in a pretty pretty big rush at some point. overseas. Yeah, and ended up overseas. Um, and that was a big turning point in my existence, in my journey. I um, took myself out of a really a bad spin, which was you know booze fueled and whatever other substances, um, and lots of late nights and working lots and hospos is an amazing industry, but it's an extremely dangerous <laughs> dangerous one. Mm. Uh, and well, it was for me anyway. Um, I, yeah, I loved it and got a lot out of it and had some great times, but it was a really good time for me to move on. So I ended up in Europe and then landed in. The states.
0: What was it before you leave the pub scene? What was it about your personality that kind of got you thinking, or got you to a point that's then got you to a thinking of, of escaping? Was it?
1: I think there was a few factors. It was just finding winding up in places that you know mornings and play and. With people, and the, you, we all have this innate knowing of what's good and what's bad. And I think for me, consistently winding up in bad situations, or not, you know, not really, not really being able to look in the mirror and go, "You're on the right path." Um, just got to a point where that crux was enough for me to do something about it before it got worse. Um, because yeah, I, I don't. There was not one single catalyst, just a a number of things which led to me to go. I know where this is headed, and I don't want to. I don't want to do it anymore. Um. So at least having enough, putting enough value on myself at that point, that I need to get out of here and I need to do something different. And um, you know, having that realization that I don't really know who I am or what I want to do. Age twenty, what? Probably 25. Yeah. I reckon. It's yeah. not an
0: uncommon thing, you know, leave school, couple of years of study, couple of years of yep. divorce and then like, oh, shit. I, th-
1: I think for me it was like leaving, leaving school and not really knowing what it is, who I am and what I want to do, going into something and going, okay, this is okay, and still just that yearning for identity that, that as we've probably spoken and... Um, those important factors for a young male, those pathways, those initiatory moments, I didn't have, um, and I didn't really have a, a, a figure to follow either. My dad was an amazing father, and he did all he could to support us, but I didn't see him much. You know, it was he was working a lot, um, and he didn't have a father, so he. I think he struggled with being a playing that role, so. Yeah, I think all of that, all of that culminated in me just wanting to do something different and try and re- reinvent myself and find a new path, and have maybe some spaciousness, have have go somewhere where I didn't know anyone or didn't know anything, just to, for some self reflection, in the hope I did, well, didn't think it at the time that I would find those people and that, those pathways.
0: Um, and did you, when you got you went to Europe, did you find people and pathways? No.
1: I did, it wasn't until as paradoxically I arrived in Miami Beach, which you wouldn't think those things would happen, but it did, you know, I, I found myself, um, with an amazing group of other transient people, which were probably on the same journey and found myself an amazing, some amazing work. I ended up helping build a photo studio. Um, learning the craft of photography which has always been a, a hobby of mine but then I started work you know working with some amazing creatives and that was the next iteration of self um, and finding something that you loved and finding a great supportive group of people um, and like-minded people and through that was able to sort of introduce a spiritual path in finding finding out who I am I found, you know, I met the Buddha there, you know, I found some, some, something to understand who I am and how I work. I got into a lot into, um, you know, transpersonal psychology, the work of Ken Wilber and the integral theory. Um, I spent a lot of time in South America while I was over there as well. So, and, you know, there was vision quests down there and it was a big journey of self-discovery, um, and it was really fruitful. It, it allowed me to finally identify who I was and ha- give me a practice to understand what it is I am and how I should behave and what's appropriate, you know.
0: Was it, <clears throat> you read The um, Alchemist or yeah. similar? Yeah, you know, a long time ago. journey, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Was it kind of, was that your hero's journey and did you get to the end and kind of go, I, I, I'm still the same Blair, but I've just been on a journey which has kind of shone a light on the person I've always been. I just didn't quite know.
1: It was, yeah, it was kind of a rediscovering and yeah. a re-knowing and being able to engage in that consciously I think was the, the big thing. Like um, doing some monastic time in the Zen monastery was was gave me the discipline of meditation and the, that being one of the, the most powerful utensils Um to remain present in existence, and then meeting amazing people and having great, great um, times in South America, whether that be with plant medicines and so forth, and then I think just that pathway of self self-disco- of self discovery was um, was I finally found, fell in love with myself. Um and realised that I am a human of worth, and I had something to offer the world. And that was a really yeah, it was a really powerful time, and it culminated in a new catac- another cataclysm. I'm really just getting quite linear about my timeline here, and I've never done that before. Um,
0: I'm a very methodical person. I <laughs> like. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah. So that no. That's that's. Um. So what was the next cataclysm? Was that was? It, like cataclysm to me is sounds bad, but is it? Was Not it, necessarily.
1: No, no. Um. Was in Miami for a few years. Then moved to New York. I was shooting pictures and doing product and producing, still, um, and having a great time, and interspersing that with lots of travel. And then it was 2001 by that time. And we got a call on a day in September to, from our neighbours to get up on our rooftop. So we ran up to the rooftop and there was a, one of the towers was on fire.
0: Sorry. Yeah, so you were in New York on September
1: 11th. Mm. Wow. And that was a massive day, an incredible day. Um, what? Okay.
0: Obvious question. How did that kind of go down in your world
1: Completely baffled, and then you realised, you know, there was there was those moments of realisation that I had this such a blessed existence because this was the the first real physical um, um, physical thing that that happened in front of me of such devastation. It was like kind of the war zone and I, I, you know, obviously had a very blessed life not to have any of that and we look around the world and there's so much of our populace that that's their day-to-day. So that that, that was a big realisation for me and then it was my only reference point for this happening was, was a movie and, and movies but this is real um, and what it was, yeah, it was an incredible moment in time. Um, what came out of that was... Was something where that was quite incredible as well. Just with the community of people that came together, what what that started for me was the realization of um, of helping others and being in service because that's what we did. Post that. That's all you had to do. That's all you could do. The city was locked down, which was unheard of, um, and people were just out there to to assist. And that was again the unfortunate silver lining that happens through cataclysmic events is you see the potential of humanity when we come together and to help each other and be in service.
0: Yeah, a time of crisis, and then yes, you know, rubber hits the road. Mm. Tension event, a massive one,
1: but I only lasted till December of that year. And I thought maybe it's time to come home and check in with the family. I've been away for a long time.
0: Had they um, had they been checking in, or they worried about their Blair in in the other side of the world doing
1: all sorts of crazy things? Yeah, but no, I, I wasn't very com- great on communication.
0: Well, back then there wasn't.
1: Mobile back though. then it was, oh, know, it was dial phones? up email. Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah,
0: dial up. go, so, go to the um, uh, email cafe.
1: Yes, there was lots yes. of that. Yeah, we were lucky. We had we, in when we took over a big sweatshop in New York and had great uh, internet well, at that time. So we were quite communicative. <laughs> that that funny dial-up sound every time.
0: <laughs> you stick another <laughs> carbon da, da. carbon rod in the modem. Yeah. <laughs> <go.
1: laughs>
0: cool. Um, you yeah, were so high tech. Uh, yeah, so a couple of months, and you were gone. I, and that's interesting because Ange was in New York, and that came down too. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. She, I, I don't know. It might have been a, a couple of weeks she lasted. Yeah, you know, when I say lasted, like just said, "This is mad. I need to go home. What am I doing here?" Um, and she left yeah. <clears throat> with with her two two daughters. I hear uh, that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not there. I saw it on the TV and that sort of stuff, but um, not a, not really appreciating the um, what it was for those inhabitants of New York that actually like that's like literally a um, uh, a, a pretty major impost on um, on normal life. Yep. you know. Do you have any theories on um, on how that all happened? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's are you baiting me now.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, well yes I am, yes I
1: am. Um, I'd be interested to hear
0: it. Yeah, if look you, if you care to share. There's, I mean, no one's going to listen to this. Though. <laughs> safe.
1: That's true. It kind of feels safe. I can say what I want, right? Um, let, let's just say I don't, I don't completely follow the narrative, the mainstream narrative of what went down on those days. Um, that that changed. A lot for the whole globe, um, and we're still feeling the ramifications, ramifications of that. And yeah, um, that's all I'll say on that topic. <laughs> While
0: well, I sip on my water. <laughs> Um, I probably shouldn't chew nuts when I'm doing interviews. No, I was I was about to reach for some. I was like, that's so not. I had to chew them so softly and moisten them up before yeah. I decided I could I'm, chew through.
1: I always I always get in Shawnee's ear when um, she's chewing something and close in my vicinity. So I'm not going to do that to you.
0: <laughs> Does she eat on the phone when you're talking?
1: No, no. no but gang she'll, gang. She'll, she'll somehow whenever she eats cereal, it'll always be next to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really loud chomping, yeah. Yeah. chomping. I'm sure it's organic, lovely. Oh,
1: of of course it is. Yeah. Brook, Brook Farm, there's a blog. Brook,
0: Brook Farm, usually there you go. I'll better write them in the show notes. <laughs> um, no, we won't. We don't need to dig into. It. I, I think we share the same kind of view on on all that. Um, and again, I won't go into it all. But it's. It, I think, like so many things in life, there it's not not all is as it seems, and. Um, I think nine times out of ten, the current narrative is bollocks. You know, Yeah. you know what what we're mainstream media, general, come you know, public narrative, government narrative, corporate narrative, the whole thing, and we can go there later on. But um, uh, there's a there's a definitely a theme, isn't there? You know, and that was probably the first time. It wasn't actually at the time, but later one. You know, when you know, I guess in, um, access to information is is freer and easier to obtain. Um, finally going, you know, well, not finally, but kind of going, oh, okay, so maybe the guys on the Channel 7 News and all that, what, pick a, pick a mainstream media outlet, maybe that's not actually quite right as it is or, you know, the general stuff. But I don't know. It's it's, been, it's certainly been a theme the last couple of years, hasn't it?
1: Well, it's certainly, yeah, that time certainly built a healthy distrust for um, large institutions, corporations and government bodies for me. And that has played out probably a few times over the last, you know, since that point in time and certainly over, we've experienced that over the last two or three years as well um, firsthand. Yes. Which we'll get to. <laughs> we'll get to.
0: Um, so where would you go? You come home.
1: I came home, yeah, and landed in Sydney and... Which wasn't home. Which wasn't home, but I had friends there and... Didn't take me long to come up here. Post that time, why? Just didn't feel right to be in Sydney. Um, I was, I was, I was yearning to be in touch with the land and be, and be close to nature. Um, coming out of New York and that period was great, but what my, I was listening to myself, I guess. Finally, learnt that skill of uh, of listening to what who you are and what you know, what's going to make you happy, what's going to serve you so you can be of best service to others. And there was always a mystique about Byron and I wanted to experience it. So, you know, 2002 I think I moved up here and landed in a mate's place on old Byron Bay Road, squatted in that for a while just to to go, okay, will it have me? And it worked out okay.
0: Byron's a bit like that, isn't it? <clears throat> well, yeah, I think it maybe used to be a bit more. I think there was more sensitivities of the people used to come up here as a as a um, a chapter in their lives. I think now it's just like a you know, bigger holiday destination, a cool and groovy place to hang out. But I guess, and, and that certainly wasn't my experience. None of that, the cool and groovies, or the or the or a you know maybe what you did. Um, my reasons for coming up here originally were, were, were different, but. You know, it's a, it's an interesting part of the world, isn't it? A, like from what I understand, and I'm not Mr. Sensitivity around it, but like it's a you know a very feminine part of the world, very nurturing. There's a lot of lot of females up here. Mm-hmm. You know, like it seems to attract quite literally <clears throat> the fairer sex for whatever reason. Whether it's a place they you know that that, that attracts attracts them because of its nurturing, because it's a place of healing. I mean, there's plenty of blokes up here too, don't get me wrong, but it's sort of, so that's maybe that's my naive or my sort of generic thoughts around that. What what was your, what's, I mean, you've been here for, what, 20 years? Yeah. So what, what's your experiences? Of it? And for those listeners who are wondering, why are we talking about Byron Bay? I mean, we're here. It's kind of relevant. Um, but it's, and for those who haven't been here, it is a really interesting part of the world. Um, it is the first part of Australia that gets the sun. First light. First light. Yep. Um, first law, Let's say. Yes. Hmm. Mount Warning, hmm. whose Indigenous name I can't remember. Wulumbin. Well, Who's it? Wollombin. Willumbin. Mm. <clears throat> That's the first point on the continent, actually, the sun suches. Uh, the t- the such I, I like <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to be Scottish, the sun touches <laughs> um, from what I gather. And... Um, I think there's something in that for a continent, you know, it's like it is literally the the, the, the the most easily point of a pretty big continent, a big significant part of the world. I don't know, there's gotta be something in that. What what's your what have your thoughts been on the mm. you know, the evolution of I you know we've jumped right I don't know, I guess we made our way to twenty twenty oh two. What tell us about that? You've seen a lot of change, good,
1: bad, indifferent, you know, what's the vibe? Yeah, there's been a, a lot of change. Are you a local? I'm not sure. Well, when I got to 10 years, I thought I was, and then another local said, no, nah, no, nah, it's got to be 20. So I didn't even ask. It's got to tw- be 20, 20, 20 generations. It, it's got to be 20 years before you're, a lo- in, you're, before you're a local in the region. Yeah. And when I got to 20, I was like, oh, I'm not going to bother asking. I'm just going to, I'm just, Take I it don't on. know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my, the reason I wanted to come up here was that I wanted to find my tribe. I I'd been... Doing lots of spiritual work, had a practice. Um, I wanted to find like minded people that could help me keep evolving and help me on my journey. And that was a big motivation. Sitting next to that was it is absolutely beautiful um, great beaches, great water, you've got the hinterland. Um, and it wasn't a big, there wasn't a big populace. I didn't consider whether or not I could survive up here or not. Or whether there was, the, you know, I could support myself in a new place. So that was an interesting journey in itself. But it felt right, um, and I, I probably didn't expect to be up here forever. Like I thought, oh, I'll come up for a while, and maybe I'll keep traveling, keep moving, keep keep learning, keep experiencing. But things change when you meet um, the uh, your soul partner. Pretty. Not quickly, but you rage against it as much as you can. But then, um, yeah,
0: oh, no, I've met you too early. You know, give me another year or two, <laughs> and then you have the children. we were just having a conversation, weren't we, with Shawnee about you know fiercely, def, you know, protecting one's independence. Yeah, at that age where you know, I don't know, the, the sliding door moments or whatever it is that <laughs> brings two people together. Um. <laughs> at, a, at a time when they were not necessarily expecting or wanting to, mm. you know, dive into that sort of relationship, but you stuck it out.
1: Yeah, we did. We,
0: yeah. So, how, tell, tell us about that. Um, were you like cheeky monkeys or something?
1: No. <laughs> we actually met in Avalon at a mate's party, okay. um, And then. Shawnee was a vagrant. She'd been spent she'd spent a lot of time in Europe and England and then a lot of time in India. And, you know, she was still travelling, traveling, traveling. And I'd see her interspersed. We were friends for quite some time before she actually moved up here. And then we spent more time together. And I pushed for more time together. And we eventually just wore each other down <laughs> and realized that, yeah, this this is something special and we probably need to look at it and honor it and acknowledge it.
0: Was that when you stopped squatting in your mate's place and went? I really got it. Yeah, I sh- did. There's no the way I could bring yet. anyone
1: no. home here. Um, so thankfully, I'd, I was. I was actually in an old church at that time in Nashua. Oh, yeah, nice. Mm. Um, that was a beautiful space. But yeah, we. Um, it's always yeah. It was an interesting path and in how our two paths converged and then interlocked. But then having kids, it's like, why? Where? Where else would I want to bring up? kids in in this land, it's perfect. It's, it serves them beautifully um, and especially when you're on land and you can see them connecting constantly to it, um, which I, is, again, a conscious decision as that's how I wanted my children to grow up and they'll do anything to support that. So let's
0: get a bit chronological again. 2002, squatting in in a, in a lovely part of the world, not necessarily thinking about putting roots down, but kind of looking for, you know, a bit of support, tribe. What were you, what were you doing
1: to pay the bills? I, uh, for the first oh, little sure, while, sure, shouldn't I ask? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> the first little while I'd zip back to Sydney and do work. So TVCs, TV commercials.
0: In what, what capacity?
1: I was. I, I found a niece for myself as director's assistant. Yeah, right. Not assistant director. There's a big difference. Assistant directors work really hard and know the and are really skillful, while a director's assistant just kind of makes sure the director has a good time. <laughs> and I, I was able to do that very well.
0: <laughs> so director directors of um, uh, of what TV shows, TV movies, commercials, TV essentially. Commercials. So
1: you'd have um, back then it, there was a uh, quite a quite a big influx of, I think it might have been dollar driven. The dollar was pretty low compared to the greenback at that time. So there was an opportunity to invite US production teams and do a lot of TV commercials at a good price. Um, Any that uh, we might remember that, you know, like
0: signature Australian TV commercials that we all... No. I
1: really don't think... I could, if I thought harder, you. you no, no, I don't think you remember them. I don't even watch TV anymore. So, um, but yeah, that I, I'd look after the directors that came out from the US, and it was super fun because they were get paid right. really well and come back here. Yeah, right. That's a good gig. It was a it was a kind of good gig. And you, then, did you look
0: after them on set, or was it yeah. like knock off and it was like no, bleh, no? Yeah, take them out.
1: Um, both. Yeah right. On set, you know, you'd you'd make sure that everything's good and everyone's they're all happy and debrief when you need it and and then yeah, pick them up in the morning and some of them, you know, would stay up at Whale Beach for you know three months or a couple of months. Um, So it was it was a really was pretty cushy, lot big hours, but you got paid well and allowed me to then come back and not work for two or three months, really, and find your way, you know, do your thing up here, which is quite idyllic. What would you
0: do with two or three months at a time not working up here?
1: Have really good time. Yeah, right. Like live the life uh, yeah. of Riley essentially. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have, you know, you weren't spending a lot of money. You are just actively involved in, you know, whether it's self-evolution um, or. <laughs> Is that what you call it? <laughs> Is that what you call it? It's a nice terminology. Involve. Just yeah, I've just coined that. I'm Involve. um, self-evolving. Involved are your <laughs> um <laughs> no, I'm
0: not. I'm not taking the piss. Pee- <laughs> I, I am, but I'm not. So it, well, no, I get it. I get it. Because I mean, what a great place to do it.
1: Yeah, it was amazing, and it was a really good time to be up here. Like when you drive around, there's so much that doesn't exist anymore. There was Arts Factory, and mm. there was just there was a really cool scene. It was it was very different to what it is now. Um, there was a lot more fun and culture and community back then. And I was thankful to, to be able to dive into that for, for long periods of time. Um, and, yeah, what a beautiful community it, it's, it still is, but it's certainly changed somewhat over the peri- over a period of time. And, again, in the last two years, I think it's, it's shifted somewhat again.
0: What's it doing now?
1: There's been another influx of, of new people, I think, um, over a COVID collective experience um, a lot of people found this is probably a good place to go escape um, yeah, and then yeah. th- those people now have the probably have bank accounts that can support doing something like that of which most of the people I know can't um, so again that was a cultural shift not saying not making judgment or saying that that's bad but it's just an observation mm-hmm. which you see and you feel because um, you know I'm do know a lot of people in the area and are engaged in the community here, so you see it, you feel it, and you go, "Okay, we're seeing another shift again." Whether that's good or bad is kind of doesn't really make any difference because it's what is, and it's what you make of it, right? It's you know, how do I how do I see that? A lot, a lot of locals get riled by it and frustrated by it. But by, by
0: the, there's, a, there's you know people moving in and, and local. Yeah, you've know, got a housing
1: crisis. Yeah, you've got yeah. you know, got there's no access to land for yeah. succession or young people coming in. There's, oh you know, a big story. Um, but you, can, I kind of make it a habit of putting on a different lens and going, what's the opportunity here.
0: Yeah, good call. And it's like, what can you what can you control? Unless you go and you know go to council and try and change the rules about zoning, or you Look, know, stopping that. this and <laughs> starting that. Hey, tried that. Tried that. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Fail. Yeah. What I mean, that's that's. Um, I, I mean, I won't say it's progress because some people would argue it's not actually progress, but it's just change, isn't it? It's just it's evolution. Changed. It's you know, lots of different factors that that um, push people around the world and a continent and a region and uh, right there on me.
2: Looking for more information to assist your regenerative journey? Come join Charlie and his guests around The Kitchen Table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the Regenerative Journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliarnett.com.au/forward/slash/the-kitchen-table, and if you're not totally satisfied with the value of your membership and wish to cancel it within the first two months, we will give you a full one hundred percent refund, no questions asked. Now let's get back to this week's episode.
0: The floods certainly pushed people about a bit early this year, didn't they?
1: Still. Yeah, still we're still seeing the hangover from that. Um, it was incredible and it was it was a very powerful time for for the community here. Um, it was there's still trauma body. Like re, it was a three weeks ago, we had some pretty heavy rains, and even I, who yeah. wasn't really affected by the floods and dug in as much as I could to be of service, I felt that trauma body. You know, when that it rain for a couple of days straight. Um. I, I f- could feel that rising in me. My nervous system was, was shot. Um, there, was ang- there was a bit of anxiety there. There was you know nervousness and I could feel that coming back. Um, and so I, I imagined what it was like for others that were actually severely affected and still displaced from those floods. Um, so there's a, still a lot of work to be done. Mm. Again, there's, you know, there's, there was an you saw the amazing potential of the you know human capacity, the human potential of us when we come together for a purpose to, to help and serve, we can achieve amazing things, and that was self evident in when post the floods and how people gathered together and community gathered together. It was incredible. And that's, you know, in those moments I was really proud to be a human being and be a member of this community. It just sucks that it takes something like that for us to come together and feel that way.
0: Well, it's always it's all a way, is it? trauma.
1: Yeah, it's kind of. And, you know, a lot of them say our, in our evolution, you know, the precursor for evolution is pain and that they're, you know, they are, the symbiosis with that. We can't have one without the other. Hmm. So um, whether that's got anything to do with floods, I don't know, but um, it certainly certainly became relevant during that time.
0: Well, as they say, there's no better growth stimulant than pain. Yeah, you know, that's that is that 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 is as you say the that pivot <clears throat> that that point at which um, things have to change. You got any theories on the floods? You know, in terms of. Um, how they came about, you know, any any kind of... Are we looking at a changing climate?
1: <clears throat> are we looking at... Look, I, I think we're definitely looking at a, a changing climate. How it's changing um, is questionable. And I think what we're doing to support... <laughs> um, yeah, that's be baiting me for stuff again. Oh, yeah. it?
0: Oh, yeah. Was it that obvious?
1: Yeah, it was. <laughs> I've...
0: I think I'm only doing. I'm just. I'm inviting you to go there if you want to. um, I
1: don't even know where that is, by the way. No, neither neither do I. (laughs) But what what I did notice, and some of the obvious stuff that you can see from um, what we've done to our landscape, um, that has invited those large rains or whatever it is that's causing them to have more effects and more detriment on the landscape is that we haven't done it any favours, whether that's the logging and clearing, whether it's bad water management, whether it's putting a highway in that acts as a dam wall um, and stuff like that has certainly exacerbated those um, large or those climactic um, catastrophes that we seem to be having more and more. Um, That sort of segues into what could and should we be doing about it from a landscape perspective. Some of the silver linings was that I know that, um, was it it Peter or Stuart Andrews has been helping Lismore with.
0: I think both for money, Stuart. Yeah,
1: with doing some more water management in those hilly regions and, I mean, thank fucking God, that's actually they're looking at that as a potential and
0: that's that's and actually. Almost, I'm actually surprised, pleasantly surprised that that's actually happening. That there's been some recognition of the significance of that kind of <clears throat> that practice and the potential, and yep. that it's not like oh that's all bollocks. And we, I mean, I don't even know what the what the alternatives would be if we don't change the hydrology because clearly the hydrology is not what it used to be and it's not functioning and it's causing, because rain is rain, we can't stop it. We can't, well, that's even, we'll start it, that's arguable. But um, uh, it's just wonderful that that, that Stuart's been working with them to, you know, potentially mitigate that. Mm. I mean, what I get, find hard to get my head around is we've had a lot of rain at Borough this year and we're putting contours in as we speak pretty much um, with Stuart's help. And I thinking, oh God, there's a lot of, you know, but that's we we know it's going to get dry up here. You have dry spells, and and there's benefit in doing it for agriculture, you know, for um, uh, rehydrating, you know, landscape and properties and so on. But to put it into place to to potentially mitigate against um, another disaster, Mm. like you know, human loss of life, Mm. I think that's. you know, full credit to whoever's pulling those strings, you know, whether it's council or it might be more of a, it might be a state thing too. Having said all that, <clears throat> there's also some other interesting things happening in the Lismore area too, you know, that I'm, I'm aware of or, or I hear about in terms of, um, you know, plans for smart cities and kind of all that sort of caper as well, you know, which is <clears throat> which doesn't excite me a whole lot,
1: Um no, I, I would roll against that as much as I could yeah, because I, I think then you know that that's taking it to a different level, our conversations, but what we're looking at is you know empire um, and globalization and global control of and um, in body private bodies having, having a big sway in public outcomes, and nothing good happens from that. And I, I wouldn't like to see um, Lismore. Si- I think they've already signed up. Um, I think they did th- three. Years I think they did ago. a while ago, right? Mm. But th- those sort of yeah, th- th- those sorts of things need to be spoken about and fleshed out because we we need to see the people behind these, um, and we're not we're not you know these deals are being made and no one knows about it and. Will have a negative effect on regional Australia, um, and people don't see that. They don't see the realities of what a smart cities pro- program is. Um, regional Australia is already in great turmoil, and we're losing our regional communities. We're losing our re- regional farmers, and I, I don't believe that these sort of structures should be um, should be invited, and, but they have been.
0: Well, it's I mean it's low-hanging fruit, isn't it? Regional towns, big and small. The prospect of being you know labelled a smart city and this technology that's going to pretend you know supposedly help with connectivity and connectedness and all those catchphrases that you know region. I can't. I don't. I don't. I understand how regions and towns and cities go. Wow, it's going to put us on the map. This is what we need. You know, we need more people. We need need more this, that, and the other. Because a lot of them are, um, are suffering, you know. People are moving out, and you know, um, especially through COVID, with you know, just lack of tourism uh, and that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's. I can see how it's an attractive thing to accept. Not that they probably even knew it was even happening, you know. Mm. So, um, but I tend to agree, Blair, on what i know of it which is not a whole lot but it just it just looks like it's got hairs on it you know it's like really do we need to do we need to be connecting everyone do we need to be surveilling everyone do we need this kind of you know how many steps towards you know an overly social you know eye on <clears throat> on the on the region you know yeah um i don't know it's a good thing
1: I I don't believe it is. And I think the freedoms that we gave up during the COVID period, we we don't get back because it's not really how these things work. Um, And we we need to be really wise and smart about what our future, collective future, looks like. And that is, you know, there's lots lots of schools of thought out there, but there's some beautiful people which are building great models around how, what does our collective future look like from a food perspective, from a housing perspective, and from a, a... a decentralized government perspective and we need to be looking at that rather than these centralized interconnected beasts where we lose our lose our autonomy and our sovereignty
0: it's like globalization at a local level isn't
1: it yeah it's just yeah it is it's part of the the globalized the struct, that structure
0: let's talk food systems um because you, where do you want to take that Northern Rivers food system—good, bad, indifferent? You've you've been part of it. You've done some amazing things. Uh, I know in the last couple of years, in terms of <clears throat> you know engaging farmers and connecting farmers and and their produce to customers, consumers um, at harvest, where you were for some time, and and you know, running your you know CSA box through the COVID period, which was a which is a really significant. Um, public service, really, is what it was, wasn't it? Opportunity for people to eat
1: good food. It was essential, right? Yeah. It was like, what, what do we need at this point in time? What can't we get? Um, we had one, on, on one side you had farmers that are ha- ready for harvest yep. and no one to sell it to because every, everyone's shut down. And then on the other side you had consumers trying to get access to healthy food. Um, so it was just a, it was an easy one. It was kind of like a
0: bit more, man. I'm not that. I, I showered. <clears throat> that I know, concerns I'm, me a
1: little bit. I'm just looking at the.
0: <clears throat> if you know it's it that's
1: all. I'll make sure you're in the picture. There, you're sneaking out of, the, out, of out of. Sorry. Out of, no, no, I'll be sorry. It's all good. Um, yeah, that was just a no brainer. Really, it's like what's appropriate action at this time. Mm. Um, and I had the potential, and and I was connected to that world, so that's what I should do. And I was thankful that the people around me were, you know, keen to support that. And it was amazing. Like we were, you know, we were pumping out 250, you know, boxes a week in that peak time and knowing that that's going to, know, put food in people's and kids' mouths, um, of, food. of good food. Yeah. So the farmers were making, we were making sure that we weren't wasting their, their harvests. There was putting some money in their bank and, you know, food and we were making sure that we were paying reasonable prices for that. Um, so yeah, it was again, shitty time, but you know, some, you know, the beauty rises and some of those potentials come up. Um, so yeah, uh, not sure if I asked me a question or I answered anything, but food, food in this area, um, we still haven't realised our potential. There's still a long way to go, but um, you know, there's some barriers and challenges for for this area. Looking at access to land is one. Um,
0: access for land for people for, to grow food, yeah, that, that then stays local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so is that? Um, a lot of the people who own that land now are not interested in growing food.
1: It's, I think a lot of them aren't, but there are a bunch that are. So, again, it's like where, where are we at and what can we do about it? Well, let's have a conversation and there's people in council and there's people on the ground that are seeing that there is potential for to enliven Something for young growers or people wanting to get access to land, and utilising you know long term leases and um, and security of tenure, so we can start growing our local food economy because we need to. Again, we saw that during COVID, um, we ran out of food. <laughs> And we shouldn't be running out of food.
0: Yeah. Where we're, this is a is a food basket, isn't it? To use that that, that overused expression, but there's this place grows anything. Yes,
1: yeah. look, it, it. I mean, there's always challenges to growing food, um, but grow the right food here, and it does extremely well. Um, so I'm I'm really positive and hopeful for what what's happening in the region and what the potentials are in the region. But, again, it's just doing the work and doing the hard yards to try and realise that potential um, and getting the right people on board to see that it actually there are some deliverables attached to that potential.
0: Apart from um, access to land, any other kind of... And I'm I'm also tapping into, I guess, where you've seen it elsewhere or your general thoughts on the world um, uh, in... um, in the first four countries at least, like what other hurdles are there for the creation of secure food systems, you know, regionally-based food systems? Access to land is, is one, certainly up here.
1: It's a big one, people to grow it. Yeah. <laughs> like we lost a lot of our, you know, there's not many people looking in this region to start up a farming enterprise. Um, so, so how do we bring them back? And we can segue to, you know, one of our programs for Farmers' Footprint. Is farming is a, oh. farmer in- <laughs> um, <laughs> is a, a young oh, farmer know, incubator right. program.
0: <laughs> well, that, well, okay, well, let's get back to that. But <laughs> no, no, I'm not ignoring it. I just want to make sure we cover off on it because it's, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because it comes up all the time. There's lots of forums about food systems and making them better and why they're broken and all that sort of stuff, which is great. that There's conversation happening, but I really want to drill down on what you think. Mm. You know, the hurdles for that. For, for the for the for, for healthy food systems to exist, well, I mean, there's lots of variations and definitions of what a healthy food system is. But what other what other? Yeah, so yeah, absolutely, people to actually grow good food,
1: and then getting access to market, um,
0: where they're going to sell it.
1: Like the the one the one thing I I've seen from being on both sides of the fence, being a producer and also being a purchaser, so being in, in, involved in a restaurant and um, hospitality precinct, um, is why why is it so hard to get local food and why does local farmers have, is it so hard for them to, to sell their food? Yeah. You know, what, what's the crux point? What, what's sitting in the middle of that? And it was like, well, there's communication for one. Um, and the farmers I know, great growers, not um, potentially not the best communicators or salespeople. 100%. Probably shouldn't be either. So what, what is it that can sit in between that? And I look at chefs in the region or retailers in the region, they're all busy. They're all trying to, you know, works hard and you're limited with time. So from a, as an example, a chef's perspective, I could make eight calls or 10 calls to local producers, or I could make one call to a distributor. What are you going to do? You'll take the convenient route because it serves you. It, there's very few guys, and still to this day, because I'm at the markets every week, still to this day, there's very few that take the extra time to jump in and engage with the local local farming network. But when you do, you can't stop because it's addictive and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it has all these benefits. But what what is it that we can do that can sit in between those two um, has been – probably one of my, um, not points of focus, but looking at seeing what is available. And there are things popping up now. There's a digital app that's in better testing at the moment, um, called the grow app. And that will give retailers access to local food, um, and farmers a way to go to market so um, it's like a
0: it's a it's um
1: um what's the, like a uh, buying platform. Yeah so I've got a, garlic and w- w- what chef it, wants garlic, yeah. I'll buy it. it. And they can do all the invoicing and all that on site. They like they will help work out the logistics of it and they also have a futures market attached to that. So if someone's doing their crop um their crop planning and they've got you know stuff coming up, they can float that onto the platform and then you've got the potential of a retailer going Awesome! I can, you know, I'll lock that in, and suddenly you got, you know, contractor sale stuff happening for growers, which is de-risks that whole story as well and reduces waste because that's another, you know, that's another problem. If farmers can't find a access to market, you got this waste story, and we all know that thirty, percent you know, thirty percent of what's on farm ends up in compost or somewhere else. So it's like, how do we solve that problem? Well, there's, you know, there's opportunity there as well. Um, you know, there's even at Harvest now, they're going, can we get seconds of stuff? Can we get stuff? And like, yes, we can, you know, and then you start pickling it and doing something good with it. So there's, we have all the answers about how we, how we can do these things. It's just, how do we implement them? How do we get people on board and what healthy tech can we use to make it efficient? And I say healthy tech because, I'm, um, you know, I love tech. I use it all the time, but I also see The downside of technology, um, when you look at some of the robotics and then our surveillance systems and our interconnectivity, which is more like Big Brother, Mm -hmm. Um, so healthy tech versus harmful tech.
0: But I guess, yeah, the tech that might be involved in coordinating growers and people, eaters, you know, I guess that's, dare I say, reasonably harmless, I trust. Yes. Um, But but, not but, and... You know, that's a conversation that's been happening up here for some
1: years Mm.
0: um, about we need, you know, either a physical hub or we need a... a, um,
1: Yeah, we need some bricks and mortar and and a a, a co-op or a distribution point. a distribution
0: point or or the simplest form is a a virtual one being...
1: So that's happening now. There's a digital, there's that digital hub happening right now. It's embedded testing and it'll go out to the fair market probably sometime next year.
0: Well, that's great because they even talk about there there being apps, you know. I know plenty of people who've said, I've got an app that's going to, you know, connect farmers with eaters and chefs and that sort of thing. I think there's been lots of iterations of them, different names, different versions. But if there's one, great, that is kind of in that version that might actually
1: do it. It's happening no, now, that's great. and people are using it now, Yeah. and they're using it successfully. Yep. I mean, if that can work, then that works for this region. You drop it in another region, oh, dro- totally. And there's yeah. there's other larger picture ones which you probably know about as well, which are sitting behind, and they're, they're bigger beasts. And um, so, yeah, solving our localized food economy and our potential is a very much a work in progress. Mm-hmm. But there are good things happening. I'm happy to say. Um, now, talk about good
0: things happening, let's talk about Farmer's Footprint. Um, we, you, have, so our, your, well, yours and my buddy, um, Zach Bush, has, um, uh, he was the founder, one of the founders of Farmer's Footprint in the States, what, three years, four years ago now? Three yeah, years ago. three
1: years. Yeah.
0: Um, we, went, we were together at the, you know, that was a significant week. March 2020 in Melbourne. Yeah.
1: Uh, when so, Zach was down yeah. there doing the week before.
0: Well, that was it. Yeah. He got home like with a day's grace before everything shut down.
1: Yeah.
0: And that was the last. Last, say, we social, social, <laughs> last we saw of him. Social hours. Last we saw of him. Last we saw of <laughs> a lot of things. Um, our freedoms um, was literally that week, which is kind of ironic. And now he's back, which is fantastic. So tell me how that evolved and what, what farmers. Farmer's footprint is in Australia, like the Australian chapter, mm. which is no doubt similar to the American chapter. But um, uh, in the context of, of of Australia, what tell me tell me how that evolved?
1: The evolution of that came probably to a, yeah. I guess it was just it was before that two thousand nineteen when last Zach was last out here. I got pinged on the same day by two different people with a podcast and a film to watch. One of them was Farmer's Footprint first docu-series, part of their docu-series. Now there was a, a podcast with Rich Roll and Zach. And was like, these came to me on the same day and I listened to them, resonated with them. And, you know, when you get older and we get a bit smarter and we start listening to, you know, if things happen more than once or someone says the same, talks about the same thing from two different angles, you go... Is that something, mm. you know, something we, we start listening to our intuitive body. Yeah. So for once I did. <laughs> and so I followed. <laughs>
0: Even I've, after three iterations of yourself. Yes. You, uh, yes. Okay. So this is fourth iteration. <laughs> okay.
1: Seven year cycles. Um yep. So I reached out to those guys because I was like, this is good and it's really healthy and it's a new perspective and so it's a doctor that's gone kind of um, – that's moved out outside I the system. Yeah, Bob's about to say that, <laughs> and that that was like, yeah, okay, I'm into this. So I reached out to those guys. And we started having a conversation, and that conversation grew until the inevitability of saying of like, well, let's do it in Oz, because looking at the landscape, um, just to give some context as to what that entity in the states is. It's essentially storytelling, our, the regenerative food story. Um, so, bringing to life and amplifying farmer stories, stakeholder stories, and bringing awareness to consumers, um, and providing education. Being a conduit for education and, and then support, and all all about an agricultural transition to healthier practice. So, moving away from chemical based, monoc- monoculture, industrialised, commodified systems. Um, just so if anyone needs context, I'm sure you're all pretty aware. Um, So we thought we're going to launch here. We did. So six months ago, we had a launch event and pulled an amazing, really passionate group of people together to support it. And since that time, we released our first short film and have done a lot of listening and talking to find out what our trajectory is and what our place here is. Yes, we want to bring stories to life and create content that supports an agricultural transition. But what 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 else and is our place here and and what programs can we release? Because I've also learnt a lot about where funding for someone like us will come from being storytellers we don't have relevant metrics or measurements for grants and government institutions which is okay because um, that sort of releases us from the pressures of keeping toward you know keeping their story alive we can tell our own so again we're working out still working out our fundly modding, but what we have been able to do is have a realization around what our diversification of programs are Coming back to a local farmer incubator that one of our team members is bringing to life, Georgie, which will release soon and then come into action in 2023. Um, also, looking at because we have the skill set to be content creators and we want to bring to life, we want to use the current modality of engagement being visual. Um, We've been told a lot of stories for a long time, visual stories for a long time from, you know, large corporations and companies that have huge amounts of marketing to support and budgets to support that. We kind of feel like we want to meet them there but tell a better story and tell a beautiful story about what our future is and and also give some realisation about where our food system is and where our health is and how connected those two are because we forgot that, we lost that, we gave away that power. We'll get into that soon. Um, so we we feel as if as storytellers we want to bring a docu-series together around the human story of agricultural transition. Um, someone sitting next to me might play a role in that as well. Cool. And then from lots of talking and listening, came to a realization when I was talking to a thi- philanthropic body that was interested in supporting us but didn't know how. Um And then looking at landscape and the people in charge of landscapes and the decision-making on landscapes and for land stewards, it was like, we need to focus on our farmers. We need these guys to be the best version of themselves as possible. So we want to bring together release a farmer um, health and wellness program because we have such amazing people that can lean into that and make it completely holistic, not a scientific reductionistic me- methodology which gets us nowhere um, and not bound to an institution or a government department because I, I don't believe um, from the last couple of years we've learnt that government institutions don't really know what actual health is. So we want to bring together a, a holistic framework that covers mind, body and spirit and reimagine health for our farming communities because we believe if you have a, the, a healthy, vibrant farmer, the decisions they make on their landscape, someone that's engaged in their, their own health and respects their own and loves themselves and their, has a great relationship with their family and their community, those people will make healthy decisions for their landscapes. I firmly believe that because I've seen it in action. So if we can realise something like that for the Australian or the Australian farming community, I think that's us doing appropriate work.
0: We've discussed um, that program. Yes, and I think it's it's so so needed, like a, a consolidated, literally a program that. Um, because it is the bit that's missing, you know, there's there's a lot of information <clears throat> on different practices and the um, operational stuff and the kind of, the, you know, the let's grow better carrots and cows, you know, sort of information, um, which is a lot of the man stuff. Men love doing that. And the girls are really good at it and love doing it too, uh, without a doubt. But I think it's you, you, you guys are hit the nail on the head with the, <clears throat> like, Healthy decisions cannot be made by an unhealthy mind or unhealthy body, you know.
1: As you say, to coin your phrase, the paddock between the ears, we need that to be in the the best version of itself. Mm. And we need to support it. And we have the systems and we have the structures and we have the modalities and the people to support that already available in here. You've had a bunch of them on your podcast. You know, if we can collectively bring these guys together to, to deliver something really worthy, then I think that could be one of the most potent covert operations for repairing landscapes available mm. and a beautiful thing to, 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 to bring to life. So as you can hear, I'm pretty passionate about that because my own journey has been similar to that. You know, I I didn't make good decisions and didn't give a shit about myself because I didn't love myself. I didn't have that for so, so part, a big part of my life. And, you know, I, I would self-medicate at the pub or with substances, I would not be exercising or, and, you know, I had to go through turmoil. Unfortunately, the human story is we go through pain to evolve. But when I I did, I can speak personally, it's, I can realise my potential.
0: And farmers aren't sort of, we aren't traditionally, traditional farmers, I guess, you know, the wonderful thing about people who haven't farmed and they want to get into farming is they don't have, they don't carry the legacy of mm. previous generations and attitudes and cultures and so on, which you know you mentioned the the stoic Scottish parents. You know, um, my parents were similar. Um, you know, I think it was a generational thing, and so conversations around mental health, um, consciousness, well-being, um, spirit, soul. Um, you know, understandably it just didn't happen. That wasn't, that. that's not farming. That's not what, you know, that's not what farmers talk about. We, mm-hmm. When we're farming, we talk about cows and bloody grass and commodities mm-hmm. and water mm-hmm. and why the bloody hell isn't raining, you know. So I, I, I commend you guys for... Um, the program and and you know it, it's the missing link, isn't it? I think
1: that, that it's massively yeah. like and that that's not just in the farming realm. And we we know that farmers at the highest rate of suicide. Um, isolation plays a big role in this, and I mean it's across the board. We have a mental health epidemic. We have a health epidemic across the board as well because of where we're at and what we've eaten and how we grow it. Um, so I've, I feel super strong that if we can deliver something, the hardest part will be uptake, will be the skill set that we use in engagement and the invitation given to farmers. And some guys won't have a bar of it, I'm quite sure, and that's okay. But if we co-create this with the people on the ground, if we use our best and skill, most skillful means of engagement, then I think um, I think. We'll get enough people on board, and it'll prove itself out.
0: Well, you're low-hanging fruit of the farmers who are already yeah. doing things differently, are not they? They've already, you know, been courageous enough, dare I say, to you know, go against the grain, do things differently, yeah. you know, challenge the status quo. Um, they're ripe, you know. They're open, and, they're, and they, you know, they're 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 keen for that, and they pick it up in bits and pieces, you know, like. Um, you know, I know quite a lot of farmers who do meditation, and there's a few who do a bit of yoga, and you know, there's there's bits and pieces that they do, and they're the type of people who do it. <clears throat> um, so I think there's there's no doubt, you know, that that's that's the that's the, f- the first opportunity. But I guess what's the next opportunity is it, you know is it the conventional farmers seeing, I mean, not the. Yeah, you know, I tar- I guess it is a target market not because, you know, we want to go you need a change and we're going to make money out of you by selling a program. It's more like, you know what? This is on the table. This is working. You're a human, that person's a human, you know, you've both got stresses and strains and all these different pressures and you know, maybe it's just demonstrating mm. the the, you know, like that neighbour of theirs is actually like, okay, that guy's got his got his got his shit together, you know. Like, again, it's a sort of a it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Like, how do you market that? And and, and maybe it's, it is. It's just you just let the you let it speak for itself, you know. You just let those. Um, so look, I'm, I'm up for I'll be a guinea pig. I'm up for that. I need some paddock betterment in my head. <laughs> Oh, totally. But we, we all have our ups and downs, don't we? Like you know, we have our moments, and you know the the you know there's the as I say, you know, nothing grows on the tops of hills. Yeah. It's always in the, always in the valleys, you know. And, and um,
1: this is our life's journey, and it's not meant no, to be easy, you know. We, no. we and we need to embrace and acknowledge and accept that. And that's part of the journey. And we need to lean into that, the hard bits as well because there's so much to, to learn from and gain from. We need to lean into the shadow and listen to it, you know. And I think if if we re, if reimagine those aspects of self and engage in them, then that process doesn't become as scary anymore, nor we don't have to try and push it away and hide from it. It's like, the you know, embracing our... Our demise as part of our existence, like especially in our Western culture, when you talk about death, um, we all know that's the one thing that won't we we won't escape. Go, right? But yet we push it away and we hide it away, and that's just unfor- it's unfortunate that that's what we grew up with because it's also that's part of our journey to come to terms with that the death experience and the freedom in acknowledging that and. Uh, embracing that and inviting that is is amazing. Is that is the regenerative journey, um, and we, it never ends. We're always on it.
0: Now, talking about journeys. Um, Zach's going to be here in a few weeks. He is three weeks time. Let's talk about that.
1: Yes. So it it feels right for. Uh, as a farmer's footprint, represent, farmer's footprint representative, I you're feel. You're the boss, man. You're the. You're the we, said, we try.
0: You know, we, we talk about the captain of the. You're the captain of the ship, mate. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm definitely not the captain of this <laughs> no, ship, you, mate. What'd you say? You're very. No, we don't. We don't. There's no, no hierarchy here. <laughs> um yes Be admirable
1: Ad- admirable healthy hierarchies were as opposed to dominator hierarchies yeah, that's right that's right yeah you know, there's always hierarchies in life hierarchies of accountability yeah um so extremely exciting it feels great that um He's putting time and energy into us and we feel mature enough now to have some bigger conversations. Like six months ago would not have been the right time for Zach to visit. Now we have, you know, somewhat established ourselves in the industry. People know who we are. We've shown the quality of product that we produce and we've got some good conversations and programs that we want to bring to bring to life. So there's a good conversation for us and then bringing him out is, you know, he can, yeah. I'm excited. We're all going to Sydney, Brisbane, Byron and Melbourne will be doing public events and then interspersed with, with that will be some more private immersive events and then having a bit of fun and making sure that he enjoys himself while well. he's out there so he can get us on his calendar twice a year and we can do more. Um, <laughs> That's so a
0: primary objective. That is a very big Give him objective. Show,
1: show the bush a good time. Uh, it's a must. Yeah. He's got to have a great time and yeah. it'll be great for us as a team as, as well. I mean, he's a co-founder, he's a board member. Mm-hmm. He's a big part of how we came about and he's also our biggest voice and a growing voice as well. And he's got a, you know, he's a man on a mission um, and he's, He's on his journey, you know, he's evolving constantly. In his conversation and what he's bringing through, it's like he has been able to tap into that knowledge field, and he what he shares is is sometimes extremely profound. So I invite everyone to to come along and experience that. It'll be a beautiful night. We'll have we'll we'll break it up with a bit of a panel and distill it into an Australian context as well. We'll have a, a First Nations representative. Um, we've got Ella Bancroft that will play a role on the panel for a few of our shows. Still working out. Who, who else will? And then I've been able to lure the amazing Tanya Massey to sit on a panel with us as well. And Laura, Laura Dalrymple will do the Sydney show. So we've got some great voices in the industry and great perspective. And I think that'll be a super healthy conversation for people to get inspired around. And um, we're just honoured and privileged to be able to host that and bring that to life. He's a freak.
0: Isn't he? I say that with all due respect. I, I just, I just, you know, the way he can articulate without notes, and it just—he, he, you, you're dead right. He just taps into something, the pure state of whatever that is, and you know, the 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 um, visualization. I guess it was a meditation visualization that he did at the RCS conference yep. back in July on the Sunday morning. Like that was mind blowing. <clears throat> and the guy was like sitting in a you know, across the Pacific, he was not in the room, but he still held the room. He knew he could he could sort of sense the vibe and that was just it was so profound, you know. Um it was so such a
1: powerful thing. So. And super risky to try and pull off oh, totally. and, at a farming I oh, no, totally.
0: But I guess he was in again he was he was in he was in a safe space, you know, if you're gonna pull that stuff off, that's the place to do it.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, totally. Yeah, look, it's it's a pleasure to to have him um, as as part of part of our our cohort, and as a as a great visionary and great orator for for us as a species. Really, you know, a lot of what he talks about is to do with our food systems and productions, but he goes so much further beyond that uh, into the esoteric realms and he's, you know, of course his foundation is science and health and um, so he's able to speak to a lot. He's able to, um, yeah, tap into that knowledge field and it comes He's yeah, comes with a beautiful lexicon attached. He's so got, it's easy he's listening. Oh, totally.
0: Like if there were some Martians came down and said, give me your representative of your... Yeah, Zach, of your, can you
1: go, mate? Like,
0: <laughs> buddy, we love you, but can you just make sure you come back? With that, We just have to make sure you read the fine print they're going to give you yeah, back. Yeah. <laughs> well, make sure they don't take him before he gets here next month. Yes. Okay, that's your job.
1: Yeah, I've, I've tried to say, can you give me... Like, he's busting <clears throat> around the world at the moment. I think he's in South Africa. He was in England recently. He's just sharing the bounty of his knowledge at the moment and being received. So I, I'm trying to... Coerce them, well, not coerce, or well ask them, plead with them to give him a week off before he comes here, so he's in good shape.
0: But you know what? That's that, that's a really good point. Like people like him, you know, who are just so generous. Um, that is a thing, you know, that they they they, you know, understandably, kind of. I'm not saying he is or will, but you know, it's that sort of generosity of spirit and and time that can get. Uh, generous people like that aren't stuck because they literally just, you know, they hit the, they get to a point, and go, oh my god, I'm, I'm actually, you know, yeah. I'm not, uh, it's not so much they don't, don't walk the talk, it's just they get to a point, and it's like, no, you need to,
1: you need to chill, dude, you know, it could be that he's so far evolved that he just feeds off pranic energy and doesn't even eat. <laughs> he's a breatharian. <laughs> he, he is.
0: Um, talking about food, let's talk about. Um,
1: do you want dinner? Is that what you're saying?
0: <laughs> I am. I'm hoping I can milk this as long as I can so there's some tucker there for me. No. Actually, I did think before. I don't know. I told Ange I'd be I'd – be, she knows I'm here but I don't know if I told her what, <laughs> what period of time I was here for. Um,
1: She's used to that.
0: But yeah, being a, Sorry, Ange. A poor communicator. That's me. Bugs um, Bugs and meat. What would you? I know that someone asked. Uh, I did see Zach ask, uh, answer a question. And they said, "Would you rather?" What, well, I can't actually remember. It was hysterical. He was pissing himself. It was like, "Would you rather eat an Impossible burger or a cockroach or something?" <laughs> I can't remember which one he chose. But um, what would you rather, mate? You would like to sort of, you know, eat bugs like a bag of bugs every day, and like, or, or potentially go to the go to your place of food procurement.
1: Um, I'll and, take and the then, meat thanks buddy. <laughs> although I do have I do suffer suffer no not I don't suffer um, I have a mammalian tick allergy so that meat needs to be poultry or fish thanks really yeah I can't have a mammal since when a long time I didn't know that so you is right. that why you I thought you did that's why you haven't invited me for dinner
0: no, okay. no, there's lots of reasons why I haven't <laughs> invited you to know, dinner. That's just a, one more right add to the list. Um, no, okay, that's a thing. That is really a thing, isn't it? The, um, that's
1: the, the ticks that they actually change the body's sort of... There's an alpha-gal gal protein there. that is now in my system that um, my, yeah, my body recognizes as an intruder and they going into hypersensitivity. So how does a creature like a tick...
0: Think that's actually good for the for the victim for the for the for the host. I mean, how that is a that's a fascinating thing in itself that a tick can, can initiate that response in a human. I guess it happens. Well, does it happen to other carnivores like a bit of dog with the, the dog?
1: Never heard of it. I think it might be a prime. Actually, apparently, I can eat primates. Um, but
0: I, oh, I'm, a, I'm not a primate. I, I, no. I,
1: I gave up on. The you know, barbecuing orangutan a long time ago. <laughs> that wasn't cool. No. That wasn't. It was a bit frowned upon. Um, it's an interesting one. Yes. An inter- but anyway, so when getting back to the meat question, <laughs> I'll take the meat, but it'll have to be poultry or fish, thanks. Yes. Okay. Rightio. And
0: tell me, um, uh, do, you want, do we talk? Or, I mean, we haven't. We sort of touched on the whole COVID thing. Is that something that we want to? It's probably a bit old news now. Did you hear that the... I heard today, yesterday, there was some whisper of lockdowns over Christmas. There was some flagging, some knob in government was flagging lockdowns over Christmas. Can you believe they're even
1: even considering even doing, doing that, that, going that they're going to do be able to do that again? Let's hope not. Oh, Let's book. hope not, yeah. I mean, that that story is still unfolding and we're still seeing the Crimes Against Humanity that are being committed as they come out and don't get any airtime in, in public media or mass media. Um, but if you look behind the curtain, I think people can answer some of those questions without us talking about them. <laughs> come on, mate. Perfect bait.
0: Um, let's talk about what's your genius?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, not talking on podcasts, that's for sure. What is my genius? It's an interesting question. I I think if I if you could call it one, it's um, community. <laughs> what,
0: what is it? Pump your tires up, mate. No, no again,
1: I, I have. No. I think I've always had an ability, and I've carried this throughout most of my. Honey, what's my genius? Um, Don't. don't, I've carried this throughout, but being able to being able to relate to all perspectives, and and uh, even ones that I don't agree with, I'm still happy to have a conversation about. So not being triggered by other by perspectives that I don't agree with, and relating to others, being able to have conversations with others, you can put me in the room with anyone, and I guarantee that. I won't get beaten up. You'll have the
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Attacked the, yeah. or thrown out. So you're kind yes, of. I have been you, thrown so out in a few places. I'm sure. Um, so you're um, kind of non-judgmental, you, you're reasonably. I,
1: I'll still reserve that judgment. Yeah. But I'll be so able to transcend my own, yeah. you know, egoic state. You don't let that kind of um, disrupt your. No, I still. Yeah. Openness. Can, yeah. Is that, is that a genius?
0: Look, I think it is. It's probably
1: part of. Uh, um, I could say I'm more like the UN, but I don't particularly care for <laughs> them. Um, no, I don't know that
0: you want to align yourself with that um, or them. Um, I, look, your 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 answer. Um, I guess you know what do I see you? What do I see your genius being? I mean, I think you're just you know your yeah. I guess your ability to see opportunities and kind of draw people in together that that is. You feel and as generally ob- obvious because it's kind of works when it does happen. You know that that you know it creates symbiosis with people. You yeah, know, like kind of you got a great network. You know the, the fact that you've you've um you've got Zach out here. You've you've helped create Farmers Footprint Australia, um which is about storytelling. It's about connectivity and communication and you know um relating those stories back to those who dare I say, need to hear it, I mean, that's a pretty, um, that is already has been and is potentially a very impactful um, genius, you know. That's what we need. That's what we need here, you know, because there's, there's no, as we've talked about and is, and is reasonably evident, you know, there's no shortage of stories. Mm. Every day, every day there are stories unfolding. We will never hear, you know, but tapping into them, finding them, exploring those. And making them, you know, others aware. I mean, that's that in itself. I mean, that gives colour to life and to culture. That is culture. That puts mm-hmm. the culture back in agriculture. You know,
1: that's what your one of your jobs is. You know? Yeah, well, it's, well it's exactly. It's, it's it's coming back from agribusiness, which mm-hmm. has co-opted agriculture, Yep. and bringing that culture back is, yeah, maybe maybe that's our job. But I like that. You're putting the culture, putting the culture back in culture. Ag- Say in the Scottish accent. You're putting the culture. Got
0: oh, that it. wasn't sure. very good. <laughs> Aye, <laughs> just a few mays. Yeah. Have you seen the? Um, have you seen that YouTube? Uh, I have to put this in the show notes about the two Scottish guys in the elevator, and they're going and they're going to. Mm. Um, they're, it's a it's a voice activated. It's a skip but it's hilarious. Voice-activated elevator. And I want to go to um, the 11th floor. I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. <laughs> and the, sorry, please repeat the floor. Oh (laughs) wow! Oh wow! wow. It was—it's hysterical. Lilla loves watching that one. You got to watch it. Just Google, look for the show notes, folks. Yeah, show notes. Yeah, just YouTube Scottish elevator. It's probably and then you know eleventh floor. It is so funny, mate. I'm looking at the time. I can smell. You smell some cooking cooking in the background. What we're going to do is a really quick Q and A, if that's all right, mate. And then, you still have um, I'm still I think within the bounds of the time that we stipulated, um, just. So we're going to wrap it up here. Anyone who wants to listen to Blair's Q and A, little quick Q and A, we're going to do, um, uh, is available only to my Patreon members. And to be a Patreon member, you have to be a very special person. Who can't? Who can? Um, uh, support the regenerative journey with ten dollars a month, um, and you get transcripts of um, each of the interviews. You get special Q and A's, which we do with most of our guests, if we, unless we're really under the pump. Um, you get two, two or three weeks before the episode comes out on the on the podcast platforms. You get to see the YouTube channel, uh, YouTube um, uh, the video two weeks ahead, so you get special pre. There's Pre- a good value previewing. proposition right oh, there. Oh, totally. And not that, but wait. That's there's more. more. There is more. Um, we have a monthly webinar with one of our guests, which is a bit of a Q&A with them, an intimate Q&A. Um, and there's also other stuff that we do for our patron buddies. But for 10 bucks a month, um you can join us in our, our growing Patreon community, which is really awesome. So we've got some other ideas that um, I can't, Michelle said I can't tell anyone just yet, um, that we are really pumped to put out to the, um, to the world. So if you want to hear that, you'll just have to join the community. And um, Blair, thank you. For those who aren't Patreon members who are not going to hear the Q&A, we'll, we'll sign off here, mate. Really, it's been a pleasure. We This is our second crack at it, because the last time I just noticed on the 16th of September, it looked like. Um, I turned up and Lordy was a bit crook, so I had to go off
1: again. That's right. It still- but kudos to you, mate, and bringing this to life. It's a really important communication for, for if you've had some amazing people come through the ranks, it's, it's connected those which never thought they were connected to their food before. So there's a lot of work that you do you probably don't even realise of what the importance of bringing these stories to life, not necessarily my own. <laughs>
0: Well, but, no, I think, you know. But we,
1: we're all, you know, we've all come from different walks walks and talks and we've, we've all got different flavours, but we're all here um, to do the same thing and want the same, same values, want the same outcomes. We want to look ahead, you know. We want to leave generations ahead with something beautiful. So... Thank you for, for pulling this, having the courage to pull this together and do, do the work you're doing.
0: Well, mate, look, I, I really appreciate your time, Blair. You're really inspiring, you know, this part of the world, getting Zach here, Farmers Football in Australia, very, just amazingly commendable work. Um, and I love having these conversations um, with all my guests because, you know, as, as is evident, um, you know, what are the central tenets of all those conversations and their lives and living in this world, food, farming, yeah, you know, human oh, and planetary health. It, it, those four things is where, you know, there's not one person alive that, that doesn't, there's not common threads back to those, those things. Yeah. You know, put your hand up if you eat food, pretty much everyone. Do you want to pay the farmer now, the doctor or the undertaker later? You know, and A connected to your food? So um, I love doing it. It's, it's really one of my, my loves and, um, mate, this has been a lovely, lovely little session with you. We're going to do a quick Q&A. Easy. Let the kids go and get a feed um, because they look they're like they're starving. <laughs> hey, I can smell that food. Mum, Mum's a pretty good cook, eh? Hey? Mmm, what's for dinner tonight, do you know? Don't know. Can you tell by the smell? What do you reckon, Blair? you got a pretty keen nose. Being a hospital man. I
1: have no idea. <laughs> Just like it. He wants to eat it.
0: <laughs> Thanks, mate. We'll wrap it up and we'll see everyone in a, the Q&A. And next week on The Regenerative Journey, my guest is Jacqueline McGlade. I interviewed her on the Monday after the weekend of the RCS Convergence Conference in Brisbane in the middle of July this year, 2022. And she presented at the conference, which was amazing. And to sit with her for 45, 50 minutes um, for an interview the very next day was incredible because we got whiffs of her life in the in the presentation from the weekend. But oh my God, what an accomplished woman she is, all, working all around the world, sailing, ultra marathon running, marrying, you know, Masai warriors. Like it's seriously an interesting and wonderful. And what, a, what, a, what a documentary or what a, what a wonderful um, movie that would be. They've got to do a movie. She's incredible. Jacqueline Mcglade. next week.
2: This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnott.com.au.